Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight's episode is episode ninety-eight, and it is our second ever versus episode. And during these episodes, what we do is we take two movies that we think are uh, linked or have been linked in by others in terms of their production or thematic elements um, or such, and kind of do more of a deep dive as opposed to our traditional top five lists. Um, and tonight's movies that we're going to be covering are 2018's Annihilation, 2019's Starfish, um, and and Starfish, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, was actually kind of fit, like made, like actually released, like limited, right, Frank, in 18, I think, um, even though yes, it was like more, so. more widely in 19. Um, it's so weird two, because, yeah, like, for being a movie that you know we both have watched on streaming networks, like there's not a whole lot available on it in terms of yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think I did read now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I I wrote this like a week or so ago, but um, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I, I'm pretty sure like these movies were like six months apart in terms of like actually being shown somewhere. Um. So uh, I think a lot of people probably at least know of Annihilation. Um, Annihilation is directed by um, Alex Garland and stars Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, Os- uh, Oscar Isaac. Um, it currently has an 88% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 66% from audiences. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into that and I can tell you exactly why um, that happens. You can probably guess, Frank. Um and Starfish um, is directed by uh, a newcomer A.T. White um, in his directorial debut. Um, it stars Ginny Gardner, Christina Masterson, and Eric Beecroft. Um, it has an 87% from critics, um, so very close there as well, and a 47% from audiences. Um, so... Uh, I'm assuming if you're going to go ahead and listen to this episode, you're probably familiar with these movies or you are just listening to <laughs> listen to us talk about them. Right. So we're not going to go into like really like a long, extensive, um, you know, descriptions of like what happens in these movies, kind of like where Frank goes a little bit Um in more detail like during the traditional podcast but um what we want to start with is like you know just kind of like reviewing these movies and then kind of get into their similarities or maybe uh their their dissimilarities um in terms of uh theme and character motivation and such so frank um did you want to go ahead and um maybe start with annihilation um just given like a kind of just a very brief uh synopsis and what you thought about this movie and your experiences with it so Annihilation is a, I would call it a loose interpolation of um, a novel that came out in like 15, I think, um, by the same name. I can't remember the author, but it's a trilogy um, that's basically set in this otherworldly portion of the United States that's kind of been overtaken by an alien force. Um book and the movie are widely wildly divergent with the exception of some similar characters and some similar themes but they're two completely different things so the movie itself um was kind of disappointing to me when i first saw it just because it wasn't a great adaptation but then like watching it multiple other times um 
I came to really appreciate it for what it was. So it's more or less, I would say, a high-minded, like, metaphysical sci-fi movie um, about a woman whose husband has been lost in this, like, miasma, basically, um, and come back, but he's come back changed, like, almost a, like a hollow man, kind of. Um, so she's a geneticist, I think. Is that right? Or something similar to that? Uh, she works on, uh, she works with, uh, cells, um, on the things on the cellular level. So I guess a cell, cellular, probably like a microbiologist of some sort, I would guess. Um, right. So this is played by Natalie Portman. Um, so she joins an expedition of other female, um, professionals. There's another scientist, a psychologist, a military slash survivalist expert and like a librarian right is the other one or something or some sort of like research scientist yeah research yeah um that travel into this like other land um sort of in order to i guess kind of like explore its origin um but there's an underhanded um means to it as well because the um, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever, who's in charge of it is kind of like studying psychologically the changes to them and sort of trying to, I guess, like maybe even like force those changes. Um, whereas Natalie Portman is trying to find like basically like what's been missing from her husband and they all have reasons, you know, like broken parts of their lives that they explore to some depth about why they're going into this place. So I would say the first 70% of this movie is while abstract, like a pretty straightforward narrative of, you know, the kind of like heart of darkness um, going into like the great unknown, like, you know, the whatever, like, like, you know, almost like archetypal hero's journey of like, you know, these people who need some sort of change, like going into the, you know, the Netherlands, nether, not the Netherlands, but like the <laughs> nether like the world, and then like coming back, like changed. Um, but then sort of changes towards the end of the movie to be really like much more of a um, metaphysical examination, I think, of self and um, like one's spiritual connection of like maybe identity and soul, if that makes sense, or um, like also looking a little bit at um, almost like the the definition of life or like the definition of existence, basically, like what constitutes Agreed. something being living and what constitutes something having sentience and at what point does mimicry evolve past mimicry into something else? Um, I don't know. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of a lot of pretty weighty things that happen in a short period of time in this movie. Right. Um, and the only downside to that is there's some kind of wonky special effects that go along with it that on my initial viewing, like, really pulled me out of my suspension of disbelief but then on like subsequent viewings, you know, kind of like one of those things like where when you know it's coming, like you can kind of brace for it and sort of pay attention to other stuff. Um, and that made it easier to watch, but pretty brilliant performances. 
Um, for being as high-minded as it is, it also has a couple of like pretty incredible um, horror sequences to it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I would probably like if you want to put like a pastiche of like genres together, this is probably like a like a psychological sci-fi horror pseudo romance tragedy. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Um, and all this is undercut by the idea that she basically cheated on her husband and has all this internalized guilt over how she treated him and what she did and what he, like him coming back as like a shell. So in that sense, like if you want to go beyond just the narrative of the movie, like you can see a lot of like subtext and like layers to the complexity of it. And, and um, Right. And I think... Never mind. I just realized I was going to break the promise I made you um, right before we started this. Go ahead, continue on. I'll write it down. Um. So yeah, so there's like, like I said, there's a couple sequences that are really incredible horror. I think that the set design and just the world building of it is beautiful and alien and eerie and it all has a really good sense of like unity is not the right word but like you feel like the person that designed all of these things actually had some knowledge of biology and genetics and like understood the way that like the world works so that it feels like a living breathing even though it's alien, like it feels like it works as opposed to like a lot of times you watch sci-fi movies where it's just, you know, we're going to slap some gears over here and then put some weird right. slime over here and have at it. No, I actually felt like I was looking at an alien essence taking over a world in it, um, which is, I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi in the first place, but I, if I watch sci-fi, I really like sci-fi when there's things that like make sense to me, like, or actually present me something different. Um, and I think that's one of the things I was most impressed with is it felt like an alien world to some degree inside of the shimmer. Um, Yeah, I really and and you watched this in the theater, correct? If I remember correctly, yeah, you, and, so, you and Orion, right? Yeah, friend of the podcast, Orion. Yes, Wilming, yes. I um, saw this opening weekend. Actually, this was a um, and full disclosure, this may actually have something to do with my initial confusion because I think I was kind of drunk when I first watched it. Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure this was a weekend where we went to the bar. And drank for like two hours and we're like, oh, let's go watch a movie. And then like drunkenly went over to the theater and watched and then came back and got drunk again. So. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do want to bring up, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I was really impressed with this movie up until, and this is like the common complaint, up until the third act. Um, kind of like when it's just Natalie Portman's character by herself going into the lighthouse and even up until a point, like, I'm fine with it. And I don't hate it like a lot of people do. That's where, like, that, like, 66% comes from, mostly, from the audiences. Right. Is the, the the ending sequence, like, in the lighthouse, kind of, where it becomes this kind of weird um, doppelganger with the alien 
ballet like mimicry that goes on like between the alien um uh presence and her and it loses people um i don't have a problem with a lot of aspects of it like it's like this is like an unknown or unknowable i would say like alien threat so like the fact that it gets weird like that doesn't bother me because it's like you know what the fuck do you expect to some degree like this is something that you can't understand um and i do think it makes sense um but i just thought it kind of really slowed the damn movie down and ultimately slowed it down to like a snail's pace and just kind of made it um it just kind of like limped towards its ending because of it yeah so so let me let me talk about that for a second Mm -hmm. because i think we're gonna have to come back to it anyway because i think this is where like a lot of parallels happen in some ways sure so i think that part of the problem with that isn't that it's necessarily bad it's just that it's so atonal to everything that's come before it Mm -hmm. that like from your perspective as a viewer, it's like two different movies. You know, it's like the emergency brakes are pulled on one movie, and then all of a sudden you're fucking Fast and the Furious drifting into, like, something else. And I don't think that it's terrible. I just think that it's really misguided the way that they lead into it. Because, honestly, like... Like, if you... If you do, I guess, like, internal analysis or whatever, like like your own internal analysis of watching and this is how i viewed it this is why i like this movie more every time i watch it you have to think that that intelligence inside that lighthouse and they 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 say this too so this isn't just like like some great revelation i had but has been slowly corrupting things around it for the what is it 10 years or something or 15 years that it's existed right, right? Mm-hmm. like that and been experimenting with different things to try and find its own identity. And it's not until she's there and she's like the mirror to it that it can finally find something and learn to grow. So in a lot of ways, like, I think that the title is is really kind of misleading and sort of curious. And the, the title comes from the book, like, so 100% mm-hmm. nothing to do with whatever there's no original thought to the title itself but it's like it's almost the opposite because it's more of like a story of like genesis or you know um rebirth yeah or just like just creation in general you know and it, i don't know but it's it's because it's so tonally like there's so much like tonal dissonance from the first hour and 10 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. to the last whatever 30 minutes of the movie that unless you really watch it like a number of times and i think i've watched annihilation four or five times now oh geez okay mm-hmm. um you don't really get like why it's okay to have that happen you know like i don't right. know if that makes sense i i get what you're saying um yeah um and i'm again biting my tongue just because we want to kind of like talk about <laughs> talk about these movies as much as we can about the filmmaking first because we're probably going to get into really long discussions about like the actual themes and subtext of these movies and stuff um 
Okay, so we're going to end up coming back to that no matter what. So um, let's go ahead and jump to Starfish real quick. Um, this is, you know, Alex Garland, when he makes Annihilation here, has a couple movies under his belt that, like, are pretty well acclaimed. Um, uh, specifically, by this point, Ex Machina, right? Um, yeah. Is, you know, Which is an amazing movie in its own way. Like, I'm right, sure. a big fan of that movie. Right. Um, and honestly, you could probably throw if you really wanted to, and and at the you could probably throw Ex Machina in this discussion if you wanted to, with some of the you know weighty issues that are going on there that have a few parallels. Um, but um, but let's move on to Starfish. This is a directorial debut. At White. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, what kind of like in terms of the filmmaking drew you to it so much? Um, so I'm not going to lie. Like I, I fell asleep during this movie the first time I watched it. And I think it's because, so thematic, so on like a thousand foot level, these movies are incredibly similar in the sense that they're about a world altering event and how it affects one broken person at the center of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So Starfish is more about this young girl whose best friend has passed away. And you learn through flashbacks and side flashes and whatever, like third wall breaking or fourth wall breaking, um, that there's also been other things that have happened in her life that have been traumatic, including like what you assume is like some sort of like divorce or messy breakup, like something's happened where she had an affair. Yeah. What's that? She had an affair. I thought he had the affair. No, she did. Why do you but think she didn't? She, no, specifically mentioned when she sees the ghost of her friend um, or like the imagination or whatever of her friend. Um, she actually says like, you know, like I cheated. Like the main character does. Jenny oh, Cameron. I didn't take that as meaning that. Yeah, no, no. She 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 had an affair. Um and it's left unknown who it was with. Um but there I think there's a strong possibility that the person might have been the boyfriend of the friend and that's why they stopped talking. But I'm that's not that's speculation, but it's not entirely I think unfounded. Um either. Okay, so back to my original point. Right. I fell the fuck asleep watching this movie for the first time mm -hmm. because it was so... I felt like it was almost like too precious in the way that it was like presenting its information. Like, I should care as much about what I was watching as the person that made it. Right. So... You mentioned that you had watched it and really liked it. And I was like, all right, fuck, I guess I got to like go back and watch this movie again. Mm -hmm. So I watched it again and I actually like number one, stayed awake and number mm -hmm. two really enjoyed it a lot more because I felt, I felt like I was able to not necessarily disconnect from what was happening, but I was able to like differently connect to it from a more just observational perspective right mm -hmm. like when i watch movies i tend to like really like 
fall into the movie. Like I become very emotionally attached um, to what I'm watching for the most part, if I enjoy it. Right. So there's every once in a while movies that I watch. And like, this is when, you know, especially stuff that's like more or less abstract or has some, I don't know, like psychological elements that are meant to like make you think of the movie as something other than just being like an entertainment or like a narrative, whatever. So I was more fascinated with number one, like a lot of the ways that things were filmed to make it feel isolated within like what's probably the greatest isolation you can have, which is the end of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though like that's already, um, like emotionally, like pure emotional intelligence, like that's a then like an isolating thing. You then have this girl that's like almost like a vacuum inside of that unto herself because of like her basically like inability to move on past you know this tragic event and the fact that she loves her friend and misses her friend um, and the other stuff. Which again, like I, I don't know. I maybe I didn't watch it. Really even though I watched it two and a half times. Um, so it's basically set up where she's moving through. Um, it's almost like a puzzle that she's following that her friend left for with ostensibly the idea that there's these seven mixtapes. Is that right? Seven? I believe it's seven, yeah. And if they're all played at the same time, that it'll break the thing that's happened to this world. Right. Um, that's basically caused like this tragedy. Um, so it's a really weird pastiche of like very, very well done, like narrative horror mixed with almost like a metaphysical, um, I don't know, like dream, dream journey or like walkabout thing for her where she's like basically moving almost ephemeral, like. Uh, like it's like an out-of-body experience on her part through like mm -hmm. different phases of not only her life but like her friend's life and this like failed this broken relationship yeah let me ask you this question so there's a part towards the end where they start to push together all of those scenes with her and the guy right you mean at, at the beach like in the ocean well, it's not only that, but they show a bunch of, they show probably like a dozen different Oh, scenes, yes, like they do. Uh-huh. Yeah. And at the uh -huh. airport, right. them on like the boardwalk. And there's a scene where she's like crying her eyes out and walking away from him as he's kind of like doing this like Mia Culpa thing behind her. And that's why I thought that it was the other way around. No, I don't think that's a Mia Culpa. I think is I, I think it's like what the hell kind of thing. Like, um, I think that she, because there's two different guys that show up in this movie, and one is like the faceless guy, um, that you see early on in the bedroom, and another one is the beach guy, and then the same the faceless guy I think is the guy with those scenes at the boardwalk and all that kind of stuff, um. Um, I the think faceless guy shows up a number of times, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 it's it, it is slight conjecture, but it's like something led to a falling out between her and her friend, and then her friend got cancer, and she wasn't there for, her, and she admits that, and then during that same conversation about not being there for, her, 
she talks about I cheated and she's like, well, what are you going to do about that? Like, you know, like, like, how are you going to move on? Um, and like, I think that the faceless guy is probably the guy that she cheated with. Um, and the like other guy that's on the boardwalk and stuff is the boyfriend that she cheated on. And she's, and like I said, it's conjecture that it's the friend's like boyfriend or significant other at the time, but there's definitely an affair that happened. I, there is n- no single doubt in my mind whatsoever that that's happened. And I think the narrative like, like comes out and ex- expressly says that. Well, maybe I'm just really bad at watching movies. I don't know. Okay. So maybe this is my problem with the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, I don't know how to say this. I don't want I don't want to come off like I dislike Starfish because I don't. Like I think that it's pretty fascinating. And I think it's incredibly beautiful at times. I think it's very moving at times. I it you know, it it brings me at points of the movie to like the verge of tears mm-hmm. because her performance for yes. someone like I don't know this woman at all. Yeah, right. Her performance is like almost sublime. Yeah, things. spot on. Like legitimately, I don't even know how to say it. Like she's a combination of like perfectly living, breathing, and believable, and also somehow like like supernatural at the same time. Yeah, she's like um, Emily De Raven, like four point like um, like has a has a certain look that i think that in the future will be able to get her cast in a lot of different types of roles um but has a ability to express herself in silence through mannerism and facial expressions that is like shows that she's a fucking solid actress um you know that's you know given the right opportunities like especially really... how many times is she basically acting against nothing in this movie you know, agreed. like agreed. It's yeah. like when you watch. Um, I think it's like one of the best depictions of depression and like kind of like uh like I don't know what the uh noun version of that would be like um like languishment or something like you know yeah. um you know it's like it's it's overwhelming a really, overwhelming ennui or something yeah like. it's a really impressive performance. So she basically is like following this trail. And the trail is leading her through elements and time periods and experiences in her life. And the purpose of the trail is basically to make her whole again, really. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the, I think, the metaphor of the movie is it's about learning to grieve and learning to accept and learning to move on, you know, and like all the stages of whatever like denial and anger and acceptance and all that shit. Like, you know, she has to go through all these things and she basically is doing that journey alone through her own subconscious in a lot of ways. Right. So I guess the first thing that I would say about this movie is when I'm watching this movie, I don't believe that anything that I'm watching is actually happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously, like, I'm not an idiot. Like, I know when I'm watching a movie that, like, nothing is actually happening. But, like, I know the the through line of Annihilation from start to finish and can watch it as a movie. And we can sit here and talk about it for a long time about, you know, the 
symbolic aspects and whatever, like, you know, the metaphors that exist in it and the more psychological things. But ultimately, like, I think you can discuss Annihilation as a film. I don't know that you can discuss Starfish as a film. I think you can discuss it as an exercise in, I don't know, almost like social healing or communal like life experience sharing or something through the lens of a supposed horror movie. Because even the horrific things in this movie aren't scary, you know? Right. Sure. Like the special effects um are pretty pretty amazing, I think, for the most part. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I don't really like. And let I, me, I think let me see. Sorry, let me see if you agree with this real quick so that like we can kind of like settle one aspect of I think what is kind of like a slight disagreement with this. Um then so that I think the narrative, and I'm putting that in air quotes, of this film is fairly clear. Friend dies of cancer. Um, she goes to friend's apartment. It just so happens that it's like the day after that or the same day. It's like the end of the world happens because of this kind of alien invasion that's brought about by... Um, you know, like signals that have been sent through certain like songs and stuff like that. It seems Um, now it's the end of the world. There are some survivors. She's one of them, but she's so, you know, kind of like broken about like her friend's death and the mistakes she's made in the past that she's kind of passive about the entire thing. She slowly starts to follow the trail of these tapes. The tapes eventually like lead her gathering all of them going to a, radio station playing them all at the same time she thinks that she's doing the right thing it seems that she's actually by playing them all at once opened the gateway even more for the aliens um that gateway kind of appears in front of her um like at the radio station and she ends up entering into it and you don't know really what happens to her at that point that's the narrative right would you agree with that roughly like i'm just yeah. Okay. So right. Okay. So ostensibly, like. That's okay. The- so what? I, here's my point, though. Is like, so, but the problem is, is that there's all this stuff of like the the things that kind of make her depressed and passive, which I think includes the friend, the death of the friend, her past kind of haunting her, regret, guilt, which I'm pretty sure comes from an affair. Um, you know, all these things kind of haunt her and those bleed into the rest of this movie. So there's a subtext to all of this of all those things. And the problem though, is the subtext bleeds into the actual narrative itself to a point where the two are indistinguishable. Would you agree with that, that they're, that they're basically interweaved with one another rather than being separate things? No. Okay. Because, okay, so there's one scene in this movie that I will use to argue any point you make about this movie being like an actual movie. When you, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth for a minute, so forgive me. Okay. Um, When you break the fourth wall in the way that this movie breaks the fourth wall, I think you give up any right to claim that I should suspend my disbelief for this movie. 
at that point, you're not to say that it isn't a film, but it doesn't, it's not a narrative film anymore. It becomes something else. It becomes like a video journal or something, just in a, done in a really artistic way. Like, you can't, you can't pull the actor out of the role and show them to me as the actor and then push them back into the role and still pretend that you're making yeah a movie. you know what i mean like it's i not I, a movie. I understand it's 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 to me it's a it is the big to me it's the biggest mistake in the film um the scene that you're discussing where basically like what she just like almost like wakes up from the, the actress wakes up from the dream and like you know is on the film set like no it's even worse than that she goes into what what is it like a galleria or something yeah like a bookstore kind of like it's almost like a barnes and noble and she crawls under a table and then emerges on the other side talking about script notes with the director yeah like the yeah. director of the film like yeah. filming himself yeah, doing script right. notes with this woman, who it. I'm telling you, if if that scene doesn't happen in this movie, I have a much different opinion of this movie overall. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying I don't like it because I think that it's very effective and very interesting, and yeah. very bold in a lot of ways. I just don't think that it's a movie in the same way that like Annihilation is a movie. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do understand, and I, when I was saying that earlier, I probably also should have put narrative in air quotes, probably. Right. Um, but I think that specific scene, people accuse this movie of being pretentious or full of hubris. Um, some critics, and then also like, um, you know, plenty of viewers. Um, and that scene almost kind of, you can't argue that because of the scene. And if that scene weren't there, I think that argument, you could argue against it, but I do think there's a certain pretension to this movie. Um, well, yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and it's the, and it's the kind of like the scarlet letter, um, in this movie of that pretension. Um, but I, I will argue on the side of this movie and saying, um, this man was trying to heal from something himself, you know, like he had this hole in his heart of this woman, Grace, you know, that I guess is what the, um, the dead friend is basically based on. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not my place Again, this is both sides of my... Uh, I never even talked out of both sides of my mouth. He didn't. Uh, right, right, right. right. So it's not my place to judge how someone grieves, right? Right. But when you grieve publicly, I think you open yourself up to some level of scrutiny, and especially when you release that grief to the world as, you know, a film production. Um, so I don't know. So it's it's hard because, like... I think as almost like an artifact of the very small portion of the world that this man's life occupies. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly interesting. I think it's almost 
intimate, like in the way if you like read someone's diary or something, because I think that a lot of these things you're seeing are direct pulls from his own life and experiences. Right. And I think that's fascinating. Like it's rare when you see someone that can be that laid bare. I mean, you watch something like um, a good example of this. And it's a movie that like is pretty like widely loved and not so much by me, but like eight and a half by Fellini, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you watch that movie, it that's it's a very similar thing. Like, it's a very similar experience where there's, you know, Marcello Mastriani is basically like the proxy for Fellini in certain ways. And there's a lot of very intimate life details there. And he sort of rolls it over into a Mark as well, you know, because that's like what Fellini's about. Right. But those can still be viewed as like narrative films, right? So even though you're getting a lot of like personal things there, or Radio Days is another good example by Woody Allen. You know, there's a lot of very personal, nostalgic childhood things that happen there. But this guy is like basically just like laying his heart bare. Right. I think in the way that he thinks is the best way to do it, and maybe the way that's the most therapeutic for him to do it. And I think right. that you can discuss like what does it mean when she steps into the, you know, the blood dome and is like trapped in like stasis almost as these like memories explode against her skin or whatever. Or, you know, like I think you can talk like a long time about like what does this faceless guy mean and like what does that represent in the narrative? And sure. you know, is is she haunted? by an actual ghost or just like is it all just her trying to deal with like the complex web of her emotions but i think that annihilation does a good job asking a lot of those same questions while not ever removing you from the movie itself agreed i i don't i don't disagree with any of them um i i think i was trying to explain it to you the other night um because we've we had this conversation um just before this podcast trying to recall i was trying to recall the conversation that we had whether it was on the podcast or not before of like how we actually do this kind of stuff like in terms of like you know um talking about these things like do we talk about it before we get on air and we do um to one degree or another and sometimes we talk about things kind of extensively um and sometimes we talk about things very little um and one of the reasons for that is because sometimes you and I have like severe disagreements and sometimes that can be fun, but usually for just listening purposes, it's best to get some of that out so that there's an understanding of each other so that right. we can agree, disagree both respectfully and not bore people with our pedantic, you know, like discussions, right. you know, um, you know, or semantic discussions. So, um, so we did talk about this a little and um one of the things i was trying to say the other night and i kind of started it just you know five or ten minutes ago is that to me what it is is that annihilation i've talked about this before in the podcast and it's like it's terrible over audio because it's more of a visual thing but like where it's like there's a narrative that runs in a parallel line, like say, you know, so imagine a parallel line across the page and then there's a subtext that runs underneath of it, um, you know, uh, across the same page. And like the subtext will occasionally kind of like move up and meet the narrative or the narrative will kind of move down and almost like they match up together. And to me, the 
most fantastic movies of all time is where the narrative and the subtext kind of meet each other at the necessary plot points and beats and eventually leave you with a satisfying narrative, but also something that you can take away from the movie. What I tend to call like, you know, being an English major or something like universal truth. Um, And I agree with, I, I agree with everything you just said. Right. So I think annihilation while not perfect, it is imperfect in doing that does a fairly good job of that throughout. While Starfish is what I was trying to say, where it tangles itself, it almost ends up being like a spiral of both narrative and subtext throughout the entire damn movie, um, where it's like the two are indistinguishable from one another. So I do think there is a narrative buried there. And yes, it breaks the fourth wall and all those kind of things. But it's like the movie itself and the narrative is nothing more than a representation of the subtext. And the subtext influences the narrative that is there, which is pretty loose narrative. But I mean, there is a narrative. Um, And it just kind of ends up being a spiral across the page of the two of them. Where, dude, it's a perpendicular line that turns into a motherfucking rhombus that (laughs) comes like. Super rhombus. An eggplant or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, no. So, and that's what I was trying to express to you the other night is that like it is just all fucked up. Like where you were saying that like the movie is nothing but the subtext. It's like I do think there is a slight narrative there. It's pretty bare bones, but it's like to me the two are wrapped together, as opposed to Annihilation being a more traditional movie, I think, where there is a narrative where there is subtext underlying all of it, and you can kind of like trying to find symbols or motivation and make determinations and analyze those determinations like you know and kind of come out with an interpretation of that movie where starfish did it's almost all made for you like you know i mean it's like because you said and i'm not disrespecting it because of that because i do still think it's a it's a it's a fascinating watch and overall i really liked it i mean like i i texted you this summer it's like you know yeah i really like this watching it and um but yeah, like you said, it's so personal, I guess. And I have read interviews since you told me the other day, like, you know, with A.T. White and realized just how deeply personal it is. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, so here's my argument. And this, this is the thing that the other thing that we kind of like, you know, like. So I'm assuming now with this idea that it's like she committed adultery do you see where i'm coming from now from the conversation that we had the other night about how these how these things are more parallel than um like like so here's my point of view of like these movies and why i'm putting them together in a large degree like and and i think it's different from you so it's it's going to be interesting but it's like the reason i put these movies together is not even on that narrative level um per se i guess um but is the idea that these are two female protagonists that have committed adultery and are feeling guilt over that adultery. And one kind of leads this um, active role in Annihilation where she feels she owes him. Um, and, and 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 that's I noticed that very specifically the other night. She doesn't say that I I like she loves him. She says I owe him. Um, like that's coming from a place of guilt more than anything else. Um, and then you have the character in Starfish, which is much more passive 
usually like you know until she starts the journey but it's still not about necessarily like making amends i don't to the friend it is and that's the reason why i kind of like wonder if it's not the 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 impetus for their like dissolution of their friendship comes from the fact that she might have cheated on the friend it's like it could end up actually being the same thing with both characters is that the thing that actually does propel them forward ultimately is 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 the guilt um and so to me both of these movies end up being meditations almost in very different ways obviously but meditations on self-destruction right agreed and how you come back and move on and change from self-destruction. I agree with that too. Uh-huh. So here's my problem with it. I, I'll I'll give you that there's I think there's some very striking similarities between these movies. And based on their production schedules and their release, I can only imagine that they're somewhat coincidental. Yeah. I think so. And, I think unless, that's, what makes, and that's what makes it more fascinating. Too, unless A.T. Yeah. White had read Annihilation while right. he was writing the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And then I can see it. Like, I can see how he could have, like, pulled some of those thematic elements from the novel and used them to, like, lay over his... As, as like, that bare-bones narrative over his own... Right, life. sure. The difference to me is that everything you get from Annihilation, and maybe this is exactly what you're saying, so correct me if I'm like just repeating what you're saying in a different mm-hmm. way. Sure. Everything that you get from Annihilation, you get because of your intuition and interpretation and the way your brain works and the way that those moving images interact with your brain and draw forth certain emotions and feelings. Right. But that's on you. Like, that's you interpreting the movie. Sure. Starfish is vague, but it's telling you everything it wants you to know. Yes. Like, you're not learning anything about yourself or interpreting anything about the movie. You're being forced to experience his trauma and recovery by proxy almost. Agreed. Agreed. Just through like what he wants you to see. I don't disagree with you. And I know that like every director, there's a certain amount of manipulation that comes with any like filmmaking experience, but at the same time, it's like I think it's more manipulative than Starfish. But I understand why it's manipulative. Like I don't think that it's like you know, we're gonna talk about this in the one hundredth episode when we talk about Fellowship of the Ring, so I don't want to spoil too much, but I don't think this is like fraudulent emotional manipulation in order to push interpersonal relationship between you and a character where none should exist because the work hasn't been done to build that character. I think that this is him connecting with you on a almost like metaphysical level. Yeah. Through the art of filmmaking because he's making this like pseudo like confessional blog slash yes okay so i i didn't want to go that far but it's like here was the thing that popped into my mind when you were saying that is like 
and it's going to sound off when I don't mean it to sound awful. It's like, this is the thing where it's like, Anon, like, puts out a post about how much, like, they're hurting, and you get this, like, long response about another person's story about, like, how what they went through and how they, like, got over it and healed from it, just in a film version. It's trying to sympathize or empathize, it's trying to almost sympathize or empathize with the things that kind of tend to happen in human life and the human condition, such as death and mistakes and like those kind of things. And it's his personal experience that's being put on the screen in this kind of. Right. It's, it's basically the, the grandest and most artistic version of live journal mm-hmm. that's like ever been produced. If we can like date ourselves a little bit. by Right. <laughs> right. 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 Long dead um, website. Yeah, and I think you that. Know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like, I do. I do. I do. So what it is is, I was just looking. I think the difference came down to like our like where we were disconnecting was that I'm just looking purely at the primary protagonist and their motivations and what they go through and how they how they get through it. Um. And I also think that like the other similarity is you don't quite know what's where they end up like there there's ambiguity to where they end up as well like because you don't really know when she enters something that looks too much like the shimmer in starfish which i also think is real fucking weird if they're so close together like in you know um you don't know what happens to that main character in starfish like is that acceptance is that what it's supposed to be is it death it or is it is it acceptance and death at the same time? Like, I mean, so, honestly, I, I don't think it's any of your business. I think it's exactly what he wants it to be, you know? Right. So it, wait, go ahead. Here's, th- this is the best analogy I can offer. Mm. Watching starfish is like watching two people like fuck at a restaurant where it's like, it's interesting and like maybe you want to watch it, but like you're not meant to see it and it's definitely not for you, you know? It's like back in the- <laughs> Right. Right. Um how do you take the ending of Annihilation? So and, and let me let me set this up for you because I there's there's different theories out there, like in terms of like little things people have noticed and stuff like that. Um some do, uh, narratively speaking here do you think she's an alien oh yes that first i think she's now a hybrid of the two species whatever those species may be okay so you think both him and her at that point both the the husband and her are now oscar isaac and Natalie portman are both hybrids of some sort yes i think they retain most aspects of their human personas, but also now have whatever it's, it's the alien finally figuring out what to do with itself to replicate life while not destroying life. So I think that's the symbolism of the bear in a lot of ways. Like despite being like one of the more horrific scenes in film that year, like the fucking scream imitating 
death deathbed bear, mm-hmm. I think is the example of how the alien in its early experimentation doesn't understand the melding of disparate parts, right? right? Like it doesn't know how to put these things together because everything is alien to it. So it doesn't understand that the human voice doesn't go with the rotting corpse of the bear. Right. And then all of those things animate together become a horror show as opposed to... So was it you and I... I can't remember who I was talking to about the Uncanny Valley the other day. But it's inherently the Uncanny Valley just in... From like... How to say this? It's like... That's a recognizable thing, but it's not a thing that exists. Whereas the more it works towards understanding what it's doing you get a more recognizable thing to the point where at the end oscar isaac and natalie portman are basically physical representations of the uncanny valley where like they're so recognizable as human but it's just a little too much where like you know they're not does that make sense i get what you're saying yeah that was yeah. a really long way to say but but, but I, I, I i get what you're saying um but like that's so well, uh, let me ask you this then. I want to step back even to the scene that we thought was going to be pivotal to probably the discussion of Annihilation, which is the mimicking scene. Do you take that whole sequence to some degree as the idea is the idea that as it mimics her, Natalie Portman I'm talking about, as it mimics her, it eventually ends up kind of killing itself. Or annihilating itself, I, I suppose. Like, or killing you, her too. May, maybe, may right? But it's like, so do you see that then? As like, according to what you just said, do you see it then almost as like the recognition of like what we're doing isn't working, and the thing that we actually need to do is almost like meld more than what we're like then what we're doing is like almost become that like like that cell inside of almost become the cancer inside of the body because what it's trying to do is become a cancer over a large portion of area like almost like you know there there's there's a reason they're talking about cancer at the beginning of that movie um you know and it's like um you know the cells that replicate kind of like throughout and it's like it seems to me that the idea is that oh, we're going to take this area and we're just going to kind of like spread it throughout, but that's not working too well. Um, So it's like, but if you become the cell and kind of spread a little bit throughout like one individual or two individuals, then like, and basically infect people, like that's the thing that's going to work is just change them slowly. And if the idea is that to me is if I, and that's how I took it is like, if the idea is to change people slowly is like, it fits in with the subtext very well, because now it's like, you have these two people that whatever the narrative is like of aliens and all this kind of stuff, she cheated. He was absent. She cheated. He has to deal with the idea that she cheated and that he wasn't there. She has to deal with the idea that she committed adultery, that she betrayed you know, and did that to him. And now they've been through this and that changes people. And that's life. Like, that's just what happens. People change people, 
mutate, they adapt over right. time. Um, and Which is like, maybe why she's such a welcoming and ideal host for this thing. Mm-hmm. Like maybe why she's able to survive whatever that is you know well, that. right right because i always kind of the first time i watched it i took it as like almost like the idea of a death wish but it's not it's just the idea of people doing things that lead to self-destruction not death but self-destruction and it was honestly through watching i, I texted you this the other night it was through watching starfish that i actually kind of like before i rewatched annihilation again that I kind of like got that idea. I think I understood Annihilation better after watching Starfish. It's just about the self-destruction aspect to me. And that it teaches the alien self-destruction. But through teaching it that, it also teaches it how it can survive because she can survive. She right, wasn't going to kill. She wasn't going to kill herself over any of this. She's the one that actually makes it. All the rest of them kind of did, right? Like they almost all had death wishes to some degree. The woman who had cancer, the woman that couldn't survive losing her child, like that to some degree, they almost all had death wishes. She just was self-destructive, but was still going to survive no matter what. And it's almost like it. She taught the alien how to be self-destructive yet survive. Does that make sense? Yes. I sort of agree. I I think there's a lot more going. So I think like all really good movies, I think that there's a lot of ways that you can personally interpret Annihilation, not just from like the clues that are given to you through the filmmaking process, but also through your own life experiences and how you can relate to the characters on screen. Mm-hmm. Because even though it's not like a huge amount, <laughs> oh, sorry, bless you. Yeah, thank you. Um, even though it's not a huge amount of character development on any one particular character aside from Portman, I think there's enough like decent ambient development that happens through like conversation and whatnot with those characters that you can empathize with, them, you know, mm-hmm. and. I think, again, I, I feel that if that 34% that dislike this movie, I think maybe are people that either don't care to look for Correct. your timeline of subtext or can't make a connection with the people in it, basically. Right. And that's my nice way of saying that those people are dumb. Um. Or like, well, actually, I've I've read a lot of it, and I paid attention to some things when I was looking at the audience like uh, reviews throughout. Um, I would say dumb or men, because well, there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of there's there's a lot of men that gave this a negative review, um, and you could tell that it was because it was a cast full of women. So if you if you were a man on the street reporter mm-hmm. and you caught Orion and I walking out of this theater in 2018. Right. You would have gotten two pretty negative reviews. I think about sure. it. Yeah. Mine would have been. And Orion I still think, does dislikes it. Right. Right. I, I think mine would have been slightly more positive. 
but I would have like shit all over this ending, and Orion's right. would have been predominantly negative, I think. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's was something about it that made me want to watch it again. Yeah. And then obviously something about it that said maybe watch it two or three more times past that. Sure. Um, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I I mean, you told me to watch it. Like you, you were like, you need to watch this, like because you're. Was it just Ex Machina? Like, or is there another movie that Alex Garland's done that you really like, or is it just no, Ex Machina? I I. I... It was just those two so, movies. It was just Ex Machina and this. Um, I'm so you... bad about this anymore, like, remembering. Um, no, no, no. I like a lot of stuff he's done, actually. So he did Dread, which I think is fantastic. Oh, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the Never Let Me Go adaptation, which I think is good. Um, I wouldn't, like, rate it super high, because I really love that book, too, so it's probably not fair. Uh, he just wrote that. So he wrote Never Let Me Go, he wrote Sunshine. He wrote 28 Days Later. Then Ex Machina and Annihilation are his, um, you know, his uh, directorial um, mm-hmm. efforts. But I guess he's uncredited as a director. For it. I didn't realize that. I love that Dread adaptation, by the way. Yeah. Um, I like him a lot. 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later. That's pretty crazy. He what? He wrote 28 Days Later. Oh, really? Later. Interesting. Yeah, okay. and he wrote Sunshine, and he wrote Never Let Me Go. And his Never Let Me Go adaptation is not super great. That might be more the direction. Sunshine really like is Cillian Murphy, right? Is that right? Yeah, it's the... Um, I've never seen it. Like, I just skinny, never seen skinny, it. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Okay. i never seen it, but... um. That was like that feels like was that like oh seven oh eight or something maybe. Um, it feels like it was the tail end of like when I start stopped watching movies like um in general. Um, but yeah, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that he wrote those. That's I I, I should. I looked him up previous. Well, we've actually never done an Alex Garland movie we've only done Netflix recommendations where you've talked about Ex Machina a little bit and um so I guess I've never really like done a like intense research into him um but yeah I mean I recommend personally I recommend watching both of these movies like I think if you're a sci-fi fan if you haven't watched Annihilation yet you absolutely probably need to watch this movie yeah agreed um, I think if like, you know, and I, I saw that somebody mentioned this, like in, in the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, like the, the audience reviews. And, and I think, I think it made sense was that they were, they were very negative on this movie, but like overall, but, um, they had some things they liked about it, but, uh, they, they made the comment that it's like, you know, this isn't like, you know, because it's on shutter, right? Like, it's like, this is a horror blockbuster, like at all like you know this is something that you would see in a film class like this isn't something you show a casual horror fan or you take a date to and i agree with that generally like this isn't like necessarily like the you know the the prototypical like sci-fi horror movie um this is more of an art house movie starfish um so but i think it's a really interesting movie to watch i think it's 
engaging throughout. Um, I think it's really well done for a directorial debut. I think it has a fantastic performance by the lead actress, Jenny Gardner. Um, and I do think there's something to take away from it um, in the end, even if it is forced upon you, um, to your point. Um, um, it's a movie about feeling, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, as, opposed like, look, to, again, as opposed to thinking, which Annihilation, I think, is a little bit more about thinking. I can't preface enough that I'm not at all saying there's anything wrong with Starfish. Mm-hmm. I just... I don't know, man. Whatever. <laughs> not 100% my bag. And it's right. weird because it is. Mm-hmm. Like, 100% my bag. Right. In most instances, but I don't know. Right. I yeah. feel like I want to watch it one more time before I just like move on with your life. Out of my life right. Um, right. Just because, like, maybe I just want to see if I can connect with his, um, his vision or his whatever. And part of that was it's the whole like the Sartre argument that we've always had, not argument, but discussion where, like, I just shouldn't read about shit, you know, like, I should never have read the interview. I know. I, I, Frank, I was shocked. Like, when you're like, I think I just, like, know too much about, like, this like about this this movie or whatever. And I was like, what? Is You're like, I read interviews with the director. I was like, what? Like, you're reading interviews no, with, the, with the creator? Like, but it was, it was so, because I felt like it was so pointed, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like there was so much purposeful message there that was more than just like your universal truths, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. argument. I I felt like it was more very specific anti-universal truths that were meant Almost like very oh, per- personal like subjective truths, yeah. yeah. And I and, and I ended up reading a lot of interviews with A.T. White after you told me that. Um because there is so little information about this movie out there that I um um I was like, oh yeah, that's actually like pretty smart. Um and like I, I went and read a bunch of interviews and it's like, yeah, like he won't talk necessarily about I don't know if you saw any, but he wouldn't talk about in a couple interviews like what the like the wolf head like stuff represented. Right. Um, and it's like, um, so yeah, some of these things are very personal to this guy. Um, I like that though. And I'm, I'm genuinely curious to watch more movies that this man does in the future. Like I, I am will, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a very talented director considering this I, was his debut. I, I feel the same way about him that I feel about like Astor and um, Eggers and, you know, some of those other guys. Or Garland that you mentioned in that same yeah, episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like I, like I want to see more than what they do, and like even stuff that sometimes might be like an initial miss for me. Um, Midsummer is another really good example, right? Sure. Um, where upon like fourth viewing of Midsummer, <laughs> like I really loved that movie a lot, and I went right. from being like incredibly drunk and railing against Midsummer. Mm-hmm. And like, why should this movie even exist to like right. being super, um, like we can't even talk about how much I like Midsummer because then Orion will call me a fucking fraud. Right. But I, 
Yeah. But you like the filmmaking in Midsummer, right? I loved it. I thought Midsummer was the most beautiful movie I saw that year. Oh, you actually like it as a movie now. Oh yes. I like I like every single aspect of Midsummer probably more than I like Hereditary, honestly. That would be interesting the day that we end up talking about that because I don't know, I'll have to watch it again, but I probably really should watch Midsummer again. But I thought it was a fantastically filmed movie and um, even really well acted overall. Um, I thought the narrative of that was mm, um, not I only the, not the narrative, but also the subtext of it. I thought so, was. And we're, we're not going to have a Midsummer. No, no, but, but let, let me just say that, like, I still argue that we misinterpreted everything about that movie from the jump. And I think there's reasons for that. And at some point, like on the podcast, we'll okay. talk about okay. like my conversion to truly like loving your unified theory. How, how, how of, I, how I learned, unified theory. <laughs> right. It's how I learned to stop worrying and love the midsummer. Right. Frank's grand, grand unified theory of Midsummer, how I or how I learned to stop worrying at Love Midsummer. Okay, yeah. Maybe we should just devote an entire episode to that someday. If we didn't have the quick cage that we had to do each week, we could do it there. Um <laughs> so, but we still got another fifty episodes of that thing left. Um, despite your protestations <clears throat> that we don't. Um, you know, like the, you know I, it's like every week I'd say, like, yeah, I'm never gonna drink again. Like, come on, make sure. <laughs> Um, just let me have so I so uh, Annihilation sadly is not anywhere anymore. Um, for free, like on streaming services, like you have to pay for it. Um, I think it's on something like weird, like you know, like uh, I don't know, Sling or something like that. Like, yeah, it's but um, but like in terms of like you know, where it was on Netflix, it seemed for three years, suddenly I'm paying $2.99 for it. Um, but uh, I'm sure it'll be somewhere again soon. Um, if you've never seen Annihilation, Starfish is on, um, I guess, Shutter right now. And what is the other thing that I have? AMC um, is the other place. Like if you have Prime, I guess, and subscribe to AMC, like it's on there right now because AMC has a deal with Shutter. Um, so. Both of them, I think, definitely worth checking out. Um, if you're a more traditional, kind of like sci-fi, like sci-fi slash horror fan, Annihilation is probably the way to go. If you kind of like art house um, movies, like, you know, with, you know, sci-fi or horror events like Starfish, you know, is definitely worth checking out as well. Um, I hope this wasn't like too convoluted, but I really enjoy doing these, Frank. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, actually, because it actually allows us, I think, to exercise like our... Um, you know, brain power a little bit in terms right. of like I agree. This. I always so when we when we did the um Neon Demon Sorry Eyes one, mm-hmm. um I had the same feeling of I it's not really trepidation. It's just like what is this gonna be? You know, and then like mm-hmm. going into it and actually moving through it and starting to like talk about stuff. I don't know, I kind like I, I like our five movies format, but I really like the deep dive things that we do with just a couple movies or one movie because sometimes I feel like I'm trying to push through like one of the five movies just so we're not doing like a four hour long podcast. 
sure and 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 look if we're going meta just for a second here towards the end it's like one of the reasons i think that we did that is because we've been trying to keep the time down on the on the on the five episode podcast like because early on remember sometimes we went two and a half 240 on some of those episodes because we did do this with some of those movies um bringing up complexities about them like you know um, you know, one of the last times we did that probably was last year where we talked about Stalker for close to 45 minutes, I think, um, on the first time Stalker showed up on a top five. Right. Um, and I mean, Stalker probably deserves two hours on its own, to be honest. Sure, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy these. Um, I don't know how much others enjoy these, but I really enjoy talking to you about, like, you know, a couple yeah, of movies at a time. And it's a lot of fun. Hey, yeah, drop us a line. Doing audience fourteen, right? Yes, leave uh, leave reviews on your pod podcatcher app. Um, you know, drop us a line at two guys five movies at gmail um, Coming up here uh, next week, we will have the first episode of the year in terms of our ten years of horror list, uh, which is the year nineteen ninety, um, and we will be covering all years of the 90s in terms of frank's top five horror movies of those years um i'm excited about this they're you know some of them i had some years the early 90s particularly i'm not very familiar with um and um tail end of the 90s second half of the 90s i'm much more familiar with i think than the first half um but i've been i'm through two years of it so far and um I'm really excited to talk about some of the stuff that uh, Frank has uh, put on his list. So um, we have that coming and then we'll be taking a break in the first week of February. And then we're uh, full steam ahead to our 100th episode, uh, which will end up being this mammoth, like probably like four to five hour episode celebrating our, um, um, our 100th episode where we will have, previous friends of the podcast um uh aiden boyer mike bledsoe ryan wellmaker jason heaster all coming on to talk about a very specific movie um uh whether it's something that they love something that they hate something that they wanted to revisit you know something along those lines um and on top of that Frank and I will probably do a little bit of a like a meta thing, like just kind of talking about, um, you know, the podcast to this point. And Frank will. What what noun did you want to use, Frank? Errors. Is that what you want to say? Or sorry. Uh, regrets. Regrets. <laughs> and then Frank will give his top five regrets through the first 99 episodes of the podcast because um, he did not like the word mistakes the other night. Um uh top five regrets of the podcast of what he wished he had not put on a top five list um at all through the first 99 episodes so that's what we had to look forward to and then the rest of february will be um uh, filled out by the top five black docudramas um and then the horror films of 1991 uh, so that's what we have coming up here in the next uh, five weeks or so. And I hope you enjoyed listening tonight to us talk about these two movies. If you haven't watched them, watch them. Other than that, I hope everybody has a good and safe and hopefully Trumpless week, um, you know, for the next week or so.
excuses. Getting my vaccine on Monday, bitches. So back lucky, into the world. Lucky you. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care about people that teach college. They just care about K through twelve. Um, so I'm still still out there in the ether, just waiting to hear some sort of word. But um, I'm glad you're getting it, Frank. Um, and um, you have to. You should actually you should report on that um, next week. We'll we'll do that towards the end of the episode. I, I want you to report on your vaccine experience. Fuck, I think the Quick Cage movie is not going to be anything interesting, so we'll just do it. <laughs> we'll do it on the Quick Cage. Okay, so if you want to hear about Frank's vaccine experience, tune in to, if it's not going to be that interesting, so tune in starting at 10 minutes to the Quick Cage this week, and you'll hear about Frank's vaccine experience. Other than that, thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good night.